Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 20. Now, for the past few episodes, I've been flying solo, reviewing cues and the anatomy behind several poses. And today, I'm going to be interviewing a friend, a colleague, and someone whom I respect a great deal, international yoga teacher, speaker, and writer, Kat Fowler. I worked with Kat a few years ago as we were both working with yoga teacher Tiffany Cruikshank at one of her teacher training programs in New York City. I remember meeting Kat for the first time, and I was so tremendously impressed. She had such a way about her, one that I noticed right from the start. She was calm, knowledgeable, a real team player, approachable, and a teacher who had a broad understanding of the practice and lots of teaching experience. I am thrilled to have her on the podcast today. So let me give you a little background on Kat. And by the way, her website is catfowler.com, F-O-W-L-E-R. Kat is an international teacher, speaker, and writer on spirituality, yoga, and meditation, and she's based in New York City. Through actualizing her passion for living the spiritual path and sharing her love for holistic hearing, healing, Eastern philosophy, Western psychology, yoga, and meditation, Kat inspires her students towards the discovery of their highest self. She was born into a life of spirituality and meditation. Her parents met on an ashram on their spiritual path. She learned meditation through her family's guru at age 14. While at college, she, she specialized in year-long courses of yoga philosophy, Hindu philosophy, Taoism, the Bhagavad Gita, Buddhist studies, and Eastern religions under Dr. Edwin Bryant and started practicing yoga at 19. She began teaching at 21 and soon after traveled to India to study meditation in depth at age 22. Since then, she has taken over 15 yoga teacher trainings, specializing in the Eastern classical elements of yoga, along with physiology, anatomy, and therapeutics. In addition to her training in classical Eastern yoga and meditation, Kat has additional training in Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, psychology, holistic nutrition, aromatherapy, 
crystal therapy, and energy healing. Kat is an experienced registered yoga teacher at the 500-hour level, a Yoga Alliance continuing education provider, and an experienced teacher's mentor with over 1,500 hours of training. She leads several of her own 200 and 300-hour teacher training programs and has trained and personally mentored over 50 teachers at Yoga Vita, Pure Yoga, and online through her own mentorship program. She guest teaches and lectures at several 200-hour teacher training programs across New York City, and she is a published contributing author on Yoga Journal and has been featured on news interviews with ABC News New York and the New York Times. And for the past three years, she annually taught thousands of New Yorkers at Bryant Park Yoga and has been on faculty at the Yoga Journal Conference in New York City. Kat, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's so great to connect with you again, and I really appreciate that the time you're taking out of your busy schedule to spend some time with me on the podcast here today. I wanted to start out by having you share a little bit about what got you into yoga in the first place. So um, as you read in my bio, I was always kind of around the more spiritual aspects or sides of the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that I was <laughs> practicing them yeah. as a teenager. Um, but so the philosophy of yoga was always in my life. Um, I was a vegetarian since I was born and um, very much believe in reincarnation and all like the things that come with yoga philosophy. Um, but the asana practice itself, I found in college and it really just changed everything for me. And I, I was really, um, I mean, I was pretty much everyone is like a kind of a wild child and um, starting to go to these classes was, it was helping in every way. I was changing my lifestyle. I was, um, changing my friend groups. My priorities became very different. And this all happened when I took my first yoga class. And I remember literally as I was driving home to my dorm or whatever, um, having to stop my car on the side of the road because I literally, felt like high and you know I don't do any kind of drugs right. but like it was a some kind of a different thing that was mm-hmm. going on I was like whoa what is this and mm-hmm. then you know me being a logical human I'm like maybe it's because I was breathing in a certain way and right. there was lots of you know it was like kind of I think a Jiva Mukti style right. class at first mm-hmm. um and this was in New Jersey so it was just you know it wasn't like it was a tiny studio there was probably like seven eight people in right. class and I was like, oh, maybe it's the, you know, the breathing or maybe it's the chanting. And then I'm like, no, like, this is so different. And I think it's just, I felt immediately the power of how an asana practice with guided breath um, that's done right can really unlock energy in your body. And now I see that. And back then I just was like, oh, I'm hooked. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but this is great. Um, and so that's kind of what started it. Uh, I was in school for psychology and I, everything changed. I knew I had to do yoga at that time. It was like, okay, this is my life calling. It's, right. it's teaching this practice that's been so transformative to me. Right. So, um, and that's, that's how I started. And then I found a teacher training that I could afford in New York. It wasn't really my style, but it, it allowed me to you know have the certification and 
I was already teaching a bit before I was certified just because I was practicing so frequently, which I don't recommend doing. (laughs) But um, so, you know, so once I started teaching um, after my first training, I I didn't feel like, you know, the 200 hours, they give you a lot of information, a little bit on everything, but nothing really in detail, um, even at the best level. So it's like, I really, yeah, I felt like I didn't have enough knowledge on what I was teaching, and um, and then so then I immersed myself in just all sorts of studies. I took all different teachers that I could in New York, and New York is great because there's just this so mecca of all these like yeah original teachers that have been here you know 30, 40 years. Like the studios that were the first studios opening in New York, um, you know, in the 80s, and they're still here. Some of them, right, right. And so I got to study, yeah. So I got to study with a lot of these really amazing teachers and really got to refine my palette as to what kind of um, styles I liked and worked for me and what styles didn't. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I started to do more trainings, probably after around two years of teaching. Right. Um, I was like, okay, now I should, I've gotten enough experience. Um, I should probably start taking trainings. And then I just went hard on that and right. <laughs> took a bunch of different trainings. Um, and yeah, and we met Tiffany and right. I love her and her school is amazing. And right. um, that was back I in 2014. Am... Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I started actually assisting her, I think in 2010. Right. Oh, wow. So, so even before that, yeah. Yeah. I was assisting her as like uh, her teacher who helped her out on the East coast whenever she was on the East coast at the yep. time, I think she was living in Portland mm-hmm. and, um, and it was really great because simultaneously as I'm training and assisting her, I'm also training and taking classes with uh, Dharma Mitra, which right. was a big influence in the beginning of my career and practice. And so I felt like I got a really good balanced um, perspective of the very metaphysical and esoteric side of the practice, like right. all of the limbs that aren't really addressed in a class. And then also this really heavily anatomical um, and refined when it comes to the mechanics of the body, that kind of training with Tiffany. So um, I kept kind of just simultaneously taking trainings in, in those realms and, and then some specialty ones that interested me, like restorative and myofascial release and things like that. Right. And so that, that's really how I started um, teaching and where I got. And, and I really, it was such a passion and a, a love and joy for me that I, taking like education for me is like a vacation right. <laughs> like being taking a student trainings is just yes it's so liberating and fun and it brings me joy and I like my partner like when we have free time I'm always watching YouTube videos or educational things and he's like don't you just want to like watch a movie I'm like no right right want to be <laughs> consuming wanna, information like, constantly yeah um, and yeah. so that's kind of how I got my start um let me just ask teacher. you let me just yeah. ask you one question because as you were talking I was thinking about you know these days because there are so many options for students of yoga that might be out there thinking I want to teach uh, so many options in terms of styles and teachers and programs when you were just describing your path how did you kind of make a decision or make decisions around who you wanted to affiliate with, who you wanted to learn from, what styles of yoga spoke to you? How did you kind of navigate that? Well, when I was first looking for a teacher training, I was 20 years old and completely broke. So I looked for the most <laughs> affordable training That's that I okay. could find. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it was 
it was great. It was what I needed at the time. I yeah. didn't really agree with a lot um, of their style, but I didn't even know. I, I actually signed up for the training without ever taking a class. Wow. Also, I recommend never doing. I, <laughs> I feel like I've made all the mistakes you can make, and that's how I've learned, you know, and I am where I am now because it's just right. done. I just, like, just do it. Right. Um, and, yeah, and so I, I – so in the beginning, there wasn't any preference. It's kind of like, let me take what I can get because I really know I want to do this, and – this is what I can do right now. Right. Um, and then eventually to, to find the teachers that I liked, I don't know. It was really an energetic click with Dharma. Like mm-hmm. the first time I saw him, I, I cried. I know this happens to a lot of people. It sounds wow. so strange, but it felt like I've known him before. Mm-hmm. So that was an immediate, I just was like, okay, I don't know who this person is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their name is. It was at like a global mala um, yeah. sun salutation kind of event. Sure. And so I was researching and I started looking him up and I was like, oh, he's a studio on the east side of Manhattan. And so I would make the trek for an hour and a half. To wow. Take, at the time he was teaching, yeah, two hour classes. Um, I think he still teaches like an hour 45 now. Uh, and it, it was like everything. Yeah. And then when, yeah. And then when it came to Tiffany, it was the same kind of thing. And actually, um, you, you might remember this, or you might have been in the phase where she started to transition, but at some point in the very beginning, she was, like, really well-known for very fancy poses mm-hmm. and doing really advanced asana, mm-hmm. and that was my jam yeah. when I was, you know, 20 and 21, Right. and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, she knows how to do all these cool poses. She's going to help break it down. Like, I went to her workshops and her inversion things, and then I started assisting her, and she had all this anatomical knowledge, but then she, like... She finally, I'd say maybe four or five years in, started to shift toward what really resonated with her. And a lot of the classes shifted away from advanced asana and more towards therapeutics right. and orthopedics. And so I just, I followed suit. And also I followed suit in my own body because at some point I had an injury. And when I had an injury, I was like, wow, like, although I know all this stuff about yoga and philosophy, I'm still working with movement and working with the body. And right. if I don't know my own body and why this happened, that's a problem. Right. Cause that's going to, that's going to endanger myself and the people that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I better know my, you know, stuff. And right. so I, what'd you do? So then that's why I got really, yeah. And then that, then I got really heavily into the anatomy as well, uh, which is kind of perfect. She was transitioning into that. And yep. then I also took some courses with um, Jill Miller for yoga tune up yeah. and a few other anatomy things. Yeah, cause I, and I got really into it. I yeah. at some point even was like, oh, maybe I'll, I want to go to physical therapy school. And right. I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that because that's a huge investment. But <laughs> right, right. But <laughs> I think it, it it points to kind of yeah. like you're saying. It sounds like you're saying there's a balance between kind of teaching the complex postures and also teaching in a way that's, I don't know, maybe stable and accessible. Yes, totally. Yeah. So um, and as a teacher, you need the balance of both. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be going to be off kilter yeah right balance of both so tell me you you know you kind of alluded to a little bit of this here but tell me from from your perspective of course what are some of the joys that you get from teaching and what are some of the challenges you face I mean I think for some of my listeners it would be really good especially those of you who know you they've seen you on the cover of yoga journal they probably have this perception like she doesn't have any challenges in her teaching so but tell us both sides kind of you know kind of the the things that make your heart sing and then some of the things that you're facing from a challenge perspective. Yeah. Um, the joys from teaching, I think are when I see a student of mine and I teach not only, um, 
you know, students in classrooms, but also teachers, and I do mentorships. Um, and so on the student level, when I see someone leave the room or they're getting up from their mat and they're kind of in this, like, they're in a different place. They're definitely in a different space. Yeah. Their brain waves are functioning differently. Yeah. They're fully in their body. It's like they just a week of sleep and they like look at me and they're like, thanks. <laughs> like that, that for me is so, is everything. Yeah. So I just, it showed that I did my job properly yeah. and I facilitated the experience of mm. embodying yourself and yoga for mm-hmm. that, that I get when I practice yeah. to my students yeah. and they received it. Mm-hmm. And they, that one, you know, class or those last, like really it's the potency of the Shavasana and the meditation, like the end, that feeling that they leave with that will carry on for a few hours or maybe luckily even more than that a day mm-hmm. or two. And that will affect everybody in their circle and energetically. And so that to me is what really brings me joy with my students and with my teachers. It's the same. It's when I, see them completely activate their potential because we all have different stories to share. And a lot of times when I work with younger teachers, there's a lot of, um, oh, I don't think I have anything to say. There's so many people, especially in New York, there's so many people out there that are teaching and have all these certifications. And I'm like, no, you have your life with your lens and Mm -hmm. your perspectives and nobody else has that. Mm -hmm. Regardless if you've done a 200 hour training or 60 trainings, like your story is valid and, mm-hmm. and go share that and go share what yoga brought for you into the world. And when I see teachers gain that confidence and activate their potential, that, that is really, that brings me a lot of fulfillment and mm-hmm. joy. And just, I feel like I'm like passing the torch every yeah. time that happens. And I love doing that. Yeah. I love, the same. I love both of those metaphors that you shared, like the, the ripple effect, right. Of the students mm-hmm. going out of your class and like, carrying a different way about them and having a different way of being and how that ripple effect goes because then they contact they're in contact with other people and then just this idea of passing the torch you're kind of passing the torch on to another teacher to kind of give that person the confidence to share their story that's so beautiful yeah um and the challenges i think i think what the challenges there's two things that come to my mind um first off is it brings up your own stuff as a teacher. Like huh. I have my own little pet peeves. Let's say when I be teaching a class and a student gets up and leaves during Shavasana or yeah. Yeah. gets on their phone or like, you know, like these little things and without, you know, saying anything or walking over people's mats right. or like, and I have to understand, okay, that's where I'm, when I get agitated, that's, that's on me. That's right. not the student. I have no idea their personal situation. Right. Maybe they could have been having panic situations. Maybe they have a situation at home. They're not obligated to really have to tell me. Some some students don't even know the etiquette, so it's fine. Like, that's on me. Like, my irritation is on me. And so I think with teaching, the challenges come up each time you teach in the room and you find yourself, um, your stuff coming up. Like, you get irritated mm-hmm. or you get challenged or you get, um, you know, because a lot of things will happen in a live class. You're working with human adults, like, sure. interactively where everybody has their own story right so everybody comes into that class and all however many people are in your room will have each have a different experience of that class right um and so i think the challenge is to content for me is to not get irritated especially when 
you know, if I teach in New York and you'll just get some people that are there to project on you. Right. Um, and it's so I've had to really learn how to protect my energy and to ground myself before walking into a room like that and how to diffuse a situation like that. And those are things that no training is going to teach you. That's just going to, that's just going to happen from the room, being in the room and teaching. Yeah. Um, so how, did, how do you yeah. do that though? Tell, tell, see if you can like, explain to me how you do that in either in the moment or before you go into a class. I mean, I'm envisioning, I teach in Boston, but I, I can't even imagine teaching in New York City with just the huge classes and, and as you say, just all of the variance around personalities and experience levels. How how do you do that? What are some of the concrete things that you do to ground yourself when we feel those things coming so, up? Yeah, a few things is I make sure before I even leave my house to commute, that I'm meditating. That's huge. And that I'm not just like doing a mindfulness app, but I'm really truly trying to follow my breath, ground my energy. You can Mm -hmm. use visualization techniques, whether it's like growing roots down out of your feet or there's many different ways to do that. Um, I make sure I'm doing those practices so that I'm grounded and I'm calm. And also, when I walk into a room and I can immediately sense the energy, and, and I'm sure a lot of yoga teachers can, as we're probably highly sensitive um, compared to most, um, I will assess then what to do. So if I walk in and everyone's like chattering and it's like a very, you know, easy high energy, then I'll, I'll decide what music I'll put on before class or mm-hmm. if it's in the room or not. And if it's, let's say, I see everyone's reclined back in Subhavada Konasana, like asleep, <laughs> then that's going to give me information too. Like sure. it, it'll all depend. Um, and another thing that I'll do is when I, and those people that take my classes or workshops um, or trainings, they'll know that a big thing for me is when I first start the class, and I know most people, especially in New York, hate this. <laughs> so when I first start the class, I make everybody greet the person next to them. Oh everyone boy. be like, yeah. And wow. you know, what's crazy though, is I'll have, you know, 60 faces looking at me and maybe 50 look pissed for no reason. Uh, and then they look at the other person, they start smiling and that whole projection energy oh, wow. is just it's broken immediately. Wow. And it also breaks that little ice bubble between people, you know, and the person next to them. Cause you humanize the person next to you. Sure. It's not just like, Oh, this person's breathing so heavy. Then you're like, Oh yeah. Uh, Jeff, who I just said hi to, like he probably right. had a hard time. <laughs> right, and I love that it's in New York City, the city that never sleeps, the fast pace, the everybody looking at their cell phones. I mean, to a certain extent, Boston's like that, but I think New York much, much more. Mm-hmm. So, I love that you're, okay. yeah, you're encouraging yeah. that that connection. I mean, if we can't do mm-hmm. it in the yoga studio, where where are we going to do it? <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so so okay, so that's great. So you kind of. You know, instead of everybody looking at me, why don't you turn to the person next to you and and say hello? Yeah, because then they, they, it just cuts the projection because you'll mm-hmm. notice. And I, I mean, anyone that's been teaching, like your students will project their stuff onto you. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even know why. Like as a teacher, and especially if you're kind of a little bit like if, if you're a little telepathic or you can kind of get a sense, you can feel if someone's thinking something negative about you or right. sending, you know, you some negative energy and so it's just a really great way to deflect that and be like, no, no, look at yourself, stop. Right, <laughs> like, right. I'm just here to teach you some yoga. I'm not your your garbage bin. Right. Like, you can take that elsewhere. Right. Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, that's just from years of teaching. And I think a new teacher, 
a lot of the time that can be very intimidating when you have a large group of people like that. Um, and then, you know, once you learn how to manage that, then I think you feel a lot better. Yeah. Now, how do you in those situations, I mean, we can't always exactly know as a teacher when someone's like, throwing us those glances what exactly is going on although I know in my own experience it's hard not to in that moment make it about me and take it personally Mm -hmm. and sometimes I've even had some interactions with students where I go home and I just revisit it over and over and over again how do Mm -hmm. you not make it about you and how do you not take it personally yeah I think especially in New York we'll get a lot of um people with mental illnesses that will uh-huh. take class like and it's very it's very parent and we all in some way are, have a little bit going on so it's like I feel for them I like I when I see somebody come in and they're throwing stuff around and they're you know being really loud or whatever and mm-hmm. you can tell there's something a little off like I'm like wow like you got to class like right it's amazing because most people can't leave their house when they're in this state mm-hmm. and you, you got to class. Um, and another thing I'll do is so I appreciate really their, their effort because it's amazing. Cause I've been through struggles, um, you know, with my own issues. And when I, like, I couldn't even imagine taking a class when I'm having a hard day right? and these people come in and, um, I think also just a lot of times I try to relate them to a family member mm-hmm. and I'll be like, Oh, this reminds me, you know, she's a younger girl in her, her late twenties. It reminds me of my sister. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just try to see her as my sister. And that will take a lot of the charge off mm-hmm. of whatever interactions happening. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, oh, this reminds me of my mother. Oh, this mm-hmm. reminds me of like, and, and so that really helps too. Cause then you, there's really, it's not them versus you. It's really like, Oh, I, I can see and empathize with what they're going right. through and why they maybe would be projecting this on me. Right. And right. I can deal with it in a more calm, rational, emotional way and empathetic way. Yeah. It's like you humanize the whole experience rather than make it like a conflict one versus the other. I, I love that. I think yeah. it's kind of melts the heart, the hard heart and makes it a little more compassion. That's, that's really cool. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I talked in the intro about your mentoring other teachers, and that's a big part of what you do. And, you know, this idea of the tradition of yoga teaching has been primarily based on a student learning from a senior teacher. And there have been traditions that support the idea of a guru. And while this seems to have shifted over the years, especially recently, can you describe uh, you know, your role as a teacher or the role as a teacher, what elements you see to that? I mean, I love all of what you're discussing in terms of how how much integrity and just being responsible. It's not just like you're popping into a room and just blah, 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 blah. You're really being super mindful about getting yourself in the right space and place mentally before you walk into the room. So that's one big piece that I'm hearing from you, which I think is so important to um, to emphasize. What other things do you see as kind of part of the role of a teacher? I think a huge uh, part is just holding space Mm-hmm. for the students in your room and you know that you've done your job if your student feels really safe with you and mm-hmm. um, signs of that could be just them making eye contact with you having a conversation with you after mm-hmm. crying in the room like these are all things that your student feels really safe and like has the ability to just be and um, I think a huge part of 
being a teacher is holding that space for your students so that they can have their own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, That's huge. And, you know, it's a different world that we live in. It's not anymore guru to student um, where it's one-on-one. And I think one-on-one is so valuable, but that, that is in a spiritual context, I think how it typically really should go and is helpful um, Mm -hmm. for me. That's personally how I've learned a lot of the things that I've learned in meditation and um, whether it's through a mentor or through, you know, whatever it is. But I think as a group, teacher as a group class teacher mm-hmm. your role is to whatever yoga gives to you or whatever you're teaching um that you offer that to your students and you have to be responsible in how you want to do that how you want to deliver that and whenever I work with mentees each mentee will have a completely different reason as to why they're teaching mm. like one will be like you know, yoga for me was just fun. It got me out of a funk and I really like offering that. And like, you know, I'm thinking of one of them in particular and she'd always play like very heavy house music. Oh, wow. Do a lot of like, you know, fun, uh, very athletic kind of stuff. And sometimes she'd even call other, you know, classes boring. And, you know, I think that's hilarious and that's just her. And I'm so happy that she's doing her. And then I have another mentee who, yoga really healed their injury from running and right. so for them it's going to have a very they're going to teach a very different class right um versus somebody that yoga was what got them in their spirit um that they're going to feel like yoga sacred and they're going to teach a very different class you know to, to verse someone where yoga helps them get in shape like it's all and they're all valid right they're all valid i used to have an issue with being like if you don't think yoga is sacred, then you're just teaching fitness. And like, <laughs> I kind of I feel that way. But at the same time, it's like it, it's valid. It gets people into the practice. Right. And it gets – and by yoga, I really mean asana. Because like, eventually then through asana, then they start to find a calmer way of life. They're more aware of their breath. It starts to change the way that they act in the world. And eventually they get towards the, the more refined practices of working with your mind. Um which some classes integrate, most classes don't. And so I think it's just really nice progression. And as a teacher, I think your role is just being as authentic to what speaks to you about the practice as possible when you walk in and holding that space for your students and facilitating whatever experience it is that you want that yoga gives you. Right, right. Now, you know, I, in hearing you talk about, you know, you know, you referenced earlier the the eight limbs of yoga and how, you know, focusing on the asana is really the focus here in the United States in terms of the expression of yoga. Although when we talk everywhere in the world, everywhere, yeah, everywhere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) India and maybe like Thailand. Right. (laughs) Right. So I know when we had a conversation prior to to today, you were sharing how um, you've really shifted the focus of your teaching um, to to focus more on the meditation aspect. So tell us a little bit about how that came to be, why that came to be, and what does that look like? Yeah, it, it happened. It's funny because I have been practicing for over a decade, and I can tell you from experience, you can practice yoga your entire life and yeah. it will not have the same effect as working with your mind. Yeah. And you can have a very trained physical body and a very untrained mind. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much asana you do and how many shavasanas you do with like really full attention, it is that 
that potency of a meditation practice you can only get through a meditation practice. Like right. I, yeah, I've, I've noticed like literally a five minutes or 10 minutes of dropping into a meditation and really just dropping in, um, in whatever method or way that you, you can is I'd say 10 times more potent than like a hundred asana classes. Right. And we've, we've probably met, you know, there's plenty of teachers out there that you're like, you teach yoga? Come on. <laughs> like, you know, like they're like really like not great people when right. you talk to them and they're really like not that nice. And right. Yeah. And, and I just find that I, I had a lot of anxiety and personal issues coming up at some point. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? I'm doing all the things. I'm like right. practicing yoga. I'm teaching yoga. I'm doing the breath work. I'm eating the kale. I'm drinking <laughs> the green tea. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing everything I should be doing. Why the heck am I like feeling so bad? Right. And, and it was like all of this deeply buried, like not only childhood trauma, past life trauma, but all this stuff like buried deep, deep in my subconscious psyche was there. And no matter how much asana I did and energy, like, you know, you, you move energy in the body when you do asana blockages I've cleared. There was now it was this next layer that I really, it was coming to the surface in the form of anxiety and serious anxiety. So, because I was ready to, to work with it. Right. And so, right. You know, I did a lot outside of just asana and yoga, know, like and meditation. I, did all sorts of different healing modalities, but what I found was the most effective and the least expensive was my own meditation practice. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, versus like anything else, like, you know, therapy, acupuncture, sure. things, like past life regression, this, 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 like, you know, and so for me in the consistency of it at first, it's, it's really difficult when yeah. you pick up a meditation practice and you've never done it before yep. because all of your stuff is staring you in the face. Mm-hmm. And I think people start to, especially in our community, like they're like, yes, clear your mind, like meditate. It's just so right. simple and joyful. And it's like, no, that is hard work. It's hard right. work and it takes a lot of courage because each time you're stepping into the right, space into the of the unknown yeah. where you don't know what's going to come up yeah and it can be it can be really like ugly stuff that mm-hmm. you're like oh wow like this is this has been there and it's been there since I was like a little kid or yeah. like this is this is how I feel and you instead of in the practice of meditation is you don't run from it you sit with it whereas in Austin I think you can run from that stuff all day long. It can right. be, asana can be your distraction. Right. It right. can be a form of addiction the same way that you're addicted to chocolate or right. addicted right. to wine or coffee or TV right. shows or whatever. Like, and it's, it's just another way of running. Of shifting. So I do you find. feel, do you feel there's somewhat of a disconnect then? I mean, even just a second ago when you were kind of saying the words, right? The quote words of a yoga teacher, like do this, do that, you know, feel your, do you feel there's <laughs> a, like a, like a disconnect there? Like how can, how can you be kind of in the room holding space in this way, but yet not be doing this work yourself? Is that kind of a disconnect that you see? I find it's a huge disconnect Mm -hmm. everywhere when we say I practice yoga or teach yoga when really we're teaching asana. Yeah. Like yoga itself is something that I fully believe in the process. I fully believe in those eight limbs. I fully live by those um, as much as I can. The yamas and niyamas. Like I really do 
take that into serious consideration in how I live my life Mm -hmm. and along with the rest of the steps. But when someone does a yoga teacher training, like you're teaching movement, you're teaching asana and, you know, movement, I'd say for the most part, asana at best. Um, And then sometimes pranayama and sometimes like, you know, five minutes of meditation in there. And it's like, I think the huge discrepancy comes from like, you know, even I have friends that don't practice yoga and some of them are like, Oh, I hate yoga. And I, I'm like, Oh, I cringe a little. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I can understand how someone can hate the postures or like not yeah. like the slow music if they're like a runner or a fitness person, mm-hmm. but like the practice of yoga is for everybody and mm-hmm. dealing with your mind can benefit everybody from just like the lay person to the high level executive that's got, you know, running eight different firms. Mm-hmm. Like it is for everybody. And that like meditation and really uniting with yourself and getting in touch with your spirit and mm-hmm. dealing with the stuff that comes up, that is the yoga practice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I think what is so rarely seen. And mm-hmm. you can always tell too, when you take a class, like, um, and I don't take many classes anymore because I just don't like subjecting myself to, you yeah. know, not knowing what I'm going to get or wasting my time. If I know what I can do is effective, like, you know, mind you, if I have a friend in town or if there's something new and someone wants, you know, me to come with them, I'll, I'll try classes, but I don't take as many group classes as often, um, anymore. And you can always tell when it's like the teacher and it's about them and it's the, their show, like, right whoever the, the Jane show or the Joe show right, whatever. Right. or if it's like for the students and mm-hmm. you can, you can always tell and whether a teacher gives a Dharma talk and they are, you know, reading from the sutras or whether they don't say a word besides just instructing, you can feel if somebody is deeply grounded in what they're saying mm-hmm. and has a practice like that or not, whether or just, they give a yeah, Dharma talk or not going through the motions. Yeah. So how, when we were talking and, and, and you were saying you you've kind of transitioned to, I mean, I know you're talking about it from the perspective of being a student going to take a class, but when you do teach now, how does that look different like in your own mind, maybe as opposed to, to as you began teaching how things looked? Whenever I think of when I first started teaching, I'm always like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you only have that classes. perspective because you have the experience, right? We don't, when we're new, we don't, you know, when, when people listening who are new teachers are like, I don't have that perspective. But I think that, that looking back is so cool. <laughs> you must be like, oh, my God. It's like when you look at high school pictures. When I look at high school pictures, I'm like, oh, my God. So, but yeah. T- yeah, well, tell- it's more like when you look back on like a comment that you wish you never wrote <laughs> or like a post on Facebook. It lives like, forever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But like. Luckily, you know, not all your classes are filled. <laughs> but, yeah, but, t- yeah. you know, take us to what that looks like. I mean, especially for people who are listening who, you know, maybe don't get to New York City a lot or like, what would it what would it be like? How do you shift that emphasis? Because there is so much emphasis now on the physical, the physical, the physical and, you know, people bringing phones into class and running away from things and not sitting still. I mean, I often think when I teach the Shavasana they get is probably the only time in their day they're inwardly focused and then they go to home and they go to bed. You know, it's like when other, what other time do they have to just be in a quiet room without their cell phone in front of their face, just awake? <laughs> so how yeah. how do you shift that? Well, I think it it just depends on doing what's true to you. And mm-hmm. if if you value or have certain things in your practice, you teach that. So this wouldn't be for everyone. Like. For, for someone who's just starting to teach and yoga really is like this blissful thing for them because it physically 
you know, they sweat, they love hot yoga, they do, you know, they get the endorphins, like do that. You know, I don't think it'll be smart for someone to start integrating like, like someone like that meditation if they don't believe in it or have right. a craft in it. Um, I just think, cause, you know, all, all of that is valid. Like each step is valid from the person starting off yoga at the gym to the yogi who comes in with their malas who's been practicing for 20 years, whatever. Right. Like it's all valid, the whole journey. Um, but I would say, you know, for me, it's a, it's a big deal that I've made sure that when I teach that I really budget my time well now. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, I used to teach like 45 minutes, 50 minutes of asana, you know, including the warm up and the right. grounding in the beginning. And then, you know, I leave five minutes for Shavasana, five minutes for meditation and then like goodbye. And, and I just, now I'm like, whoa, like I've had to be like, okay, I really want to cut this down. Like, so I'm going to cut down some sun citations. I'm probably going to cut down some standing do some longer holds at the end. I really think what's going to get, what poses will get these students in their body right? Um, in order to rest. And mm-hmm. then I put more of the emphasis on rest by first starting with breathing while they're in Shavasana or reclined. And then, and then on meditation as well. Um, Cause you know, we prioritize and we make time for that, which we want to. Right. And, you know, I, I think a lot of new teachers especially might feel the pressure to conform um, to the fitness trends that right. they see. Those um, Now I'm really only speaking to the teachers out there that um, they resonate with what I'm saying. They're like, yes, like yoga is sacred. Like why, why do I have to teach with these, this music and like, you know, in this hot room and like for those people out there, you don't, you don't have to do what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You can, you're probably in the wrong place. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're probably either that or you're transitioning and now start following the and teaching the way that you want to teach mm-hmm. and your students that see you and that like are used to the hot classes, they'll probably be a little pissed and that's on them. Right. Goodbye. They'll find another teacher. There's exactly. a million hot yoga teachers. There's a million athletically based vinyasa teachers. But then you'll find a new a new uh, group of students that will come to you, and it'll be a filtering process of your old students. Some stay, stick around. They like the transition. Some leave. You get some new students that try it, don't like it. You get some new students that love it. Right. And then you have a new student body that you're working with eventually. And that filtering process takes a little while. You also have to really be just strong and true and authentic to what you believe in so that you know like oh even when it's hard and my classes seem like they're getting a lot smaller like you're doing the right thing right so right. you're following what's inside because if you don't you're going to walk into a studio or a room or wherever with a lot of resentment and, and nobody but yourself like you're going to yeah. say oh I resent the students I resent the, the studio I resent the teachers I resent the owner None of that's true. You're resenting the fact that you have to teach something that you don't want to teach. Right. Doesn't and resonate. And that's why you get yeah. that anger before you walk in. Yeah. And you don't need to live like that. Right. Right. Because <laughs> like, then you're I, you're projecting, right? Then you're projecting on yeah. them what you're struggling with inside. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for sure. yeah. I mean, I think it all, what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that it's coming down to, you have to really be authentic. Your expression of teaching has to be authentic it has to be a reflection of you it's like if you watch American Idol and somebody sings in a way that you know is totally not them they have to sing authentically for the judges to be like yes you rocked it this was great you know you go into a room it's kind of like trying to be somebody that you're not Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So for newer teachers, how did they find the courage to do that? Because there is, I mean, really not just for newer teachers, for any teacher. Let's take somebody who is teaching in a way that they feel is inconsistent, but they feel, you know, the financial pressure, right? I've, I've got a bunch of classes in these studios or I'm working with studios where I need to conform to a certain style to be consistent you know, in, in the studio with how they want me to present yoga, what, what are, you know, what, how did you kind of make that shift to, to really be true to your, yourself? Well, it's not something anyone wants to hear, but honestly, it's just years, it's just years in the room yeah. and age and wisdom yeah. and like the wisdom that comes with age and, and maturity. And from that, um, from making the mistakes of con- and being very unhappy like yeah. at some point I was teaching all these hot classes um at town and downtown and I was like what am I doing I don't even like hot yoga like <laughs> I personally don't like it I'm a fire yeah. constitution like yeah. I am constantly hot why am I going into a hot room <laughs> getting rashes on my face my yeah. hair was drying like I just was like boiling up and I'm like yeah. for what like you know and I'm a very hypermobile person like the last thing that I need is hot yoga right so right like, why am I teaching this because it's that's what they want me to teach and that's right. popular F that so mm-hmm. I, I stopped and then I only would teach non-needed and then I eventually stopped teaching advanced because I stopped practicing as much advanced because I didn't need that as much anymore in my life um and teaching more open levels so my classes have progressively slowed down They've also became more um, meditative and all these shifts happen the, the more I knew myself and the more I knew myself and the more I knew my practice and the more I practice and by practice, I don't mean get on my mat. I mean like everything, get on your mat, the way right. I live my life, the way I sit and meditate, that all shows up in how I'm going to, and how I'm going to act in the room. And I think it's just age, but it's also just you make the mistake of doing something that's so out of alignment with who you are, and you just can't do it again because you know how bad that feels. Right, right. So and right. So then you only start working with people that you like, um, and and if if you have the financial pressure, which I absolutely understand, I had that for so many years. Like all yoga, I think everybody in the yoga industry pretty much will have that even now like it's yeah. not this like it's not advertising it's not banking it's like <laughs> not this huge you know industry where someone gets paid like a crazy day rate like you know it's time in and time out a lot of the time not always um but I just think yeah like stick with what you're doing if there's financial pressure but find your way out you yeah. know a lot of times I think the bad advice that a lot of teachers give you know, people give teachers out of a 200 that they're like, yeah, quit your day job, do it, make the leap, right. like leap and the net will appear. Yeah, and don't, like, don't do that. Smart. Don't do that until That's you. That's not smart at all. Yeah. Do you have like a year savings, a two year savings? Because right. Any, whatever age you are, you're coming into a job entry level. Right. Like people don't realize that they're like, see Instagram, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to like, you know, teach all these retreats. I'm like, no, no, you're like, you're a novice and you're right. going to come in to any studio and they're going to offer you an entry level salary. And where are you going to get your you health insurance that, from, right? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's well, a whole other conversation. Yeah. yeah, no, and I also <laughs> think, I, you know, speaking of health, I think it's interesting that for you, you were even having physical symptoms, right? You're getting rashes and you know dry skin and it's like it's it's well, it's interesting it was first physical yeah and then it became mental and then yeah it, it, 
manifested as anxiety. Yeah. As and serious it's anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. I think in hearing you talk about that, it's interesting to hear because it it does show in a way how strong the will can be to, to stay the status quo. And yet you kind of said, you know what, I'm going to kind of buck the status quo because there's this other inner voice calling me to be true to that you know and and it sounded like it was a process for you but now you're kind of on further down that path of being it's, in yeah, that new it, flow it definitely is and it's it's very scary yeah. um like i don't want anyone to think like yeah it's just like easy and rainbows and butterflies and yeah. i just like was like yeah i'm just gonna just switch things up like no it's like very you have to reevaluate everything in your life yeah. and what you're going to do and um it's a huge upheaval it reminds me of like marie kondo's show where you have to yes. throw all of your clothes on the bed yes that's what spark it is. joy it's like <laughs> thank them for the service right yeah no <laughs> i have to put everything on the table yep. and be like okay what am i dealing with now like where do i really want to go and it's not an easy process but it's when you start getting that you're not in alignment with anymore I know this sounds so fluffy, but really like the things that are in alignment come in, you create room on the shelf. When you take that book off the shelf, you have now room to put another one there. I'm not saying it's going to sit there and fall on your lap, but I'm saying you now have the space created energetically for those new opportunities that are more in alignment with you. Whereas when you aren't following that, you don't even have the room for that. And it's just, it's this vicious cycle cycle. It's like a hamster on a wheel on a wheel until you actually yeah. decide like I don't want to do this anymore yeah, yeah. and I think I, I really like to the way you know I feel like in hearing you describe this there is that spiritual side but I think especially when you're talking about you know don't quit your job you also have kind of the pragmatic side as well so I think for people listening to this you know to kind of remember what I hear you say is that there is a balance even though you want to stay true to yourself it's not like you're going to just wake up one morning and say all right I'm quitting all my current teaching gigs to now follow my true path there has to be a process so that there is some logic to it yeah unless unless you have to yeah unless it it comes to the point where you're like I'm at a breaking point I need to do this but like yes for the most part really try to plan ahead of time to avoid that disaster (laughs) because it happens and it is it's not fun yeah but like it's something that you can very easily make way for slowly and especially with new teachers I'm always like yeah start teaching once a week somewhere, then pick up another class somewhere, start teaching at a bunch of different places. And eventually once you've got like five, six, seven, eight classes, then maybe now it's time because now it's taking up so much of your time that you can start to transition out of your other job. But I wouldn't recommend just being like, okay, I'm going to leave everything. And I don't even have any experience at all, but I'm going to just do this. Right. Like I, you can, I'm not saying it isn't possible, but it's going to be very challenging. Right. And you're going to have to work your butt off um, compared to if you did it. And you'll have a lot less stress and you'll retain a lot more love for the practice yeah. when it's not everything relying on it. Right, right. Well, Kat, I don't know. I feel like if you were here, I would just give you a big hug. I haven't seen you in <laughs> a couple of years, but, you know, I love that you joined me today. It's just I feel like we were just, you know, sitting in a coffee shop having a chat and I wish that we could do this more. <laughs> Because it's just, yeah, it's just been so invigorating to talk to you and and just 
just learn from you. So um, sadly, we've come to the end here of our, our little podcast conversation, but I want to be sure because when I was doing a little research before, I know you have uh, a retreat coming up in April. So tell us a little bit about that, where it is, how people can find out more about it, how they can sign up. Yeah, so it's actually in your neighborhood. That's right. That's <laughs> um, right. I'll be teaching. Yeah, I'll be teaching um, a detox yoga and wellness retreat at Kripalu. Okay. And it's all about. It's not just like nutritional detox. It's about kind of everything we talked about today. Uh, letting go and realizing the things that you're holding on to, mm-hmm. like almost like an elimination diet, but for your mind. Um, mm. We'll be doing a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, um, some nutritional stuff, uh, journaling. And Kripal is amazing if you haven't been there. Um, yep. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's April 28th to mm-hmm. May 3rd. So it's just a five-day retreat. And you can get all the info for that or sign up on my website. Um, and I also have, because um, I, I was talking a lot about mentorships too, I do mentorships online one-on-one. Okay. Um, and there's just like little tracks that you can pick. You can pick if you want business or just um, mission-oriented coaching or if you want observation and class feedback. And whether you work with me or someone else, I always recommend to teachers to have a mentor. I have several. I've always had mentors. I still have mentors. Um, and I really appreciate the power of a mentor and a mentorship. So I do that online as well. Yes, it's always good for teachers to have teachers. I think you're right. That is, mm-hmm. It's not like you get to a point where you say, I'm all done learning. (laughs) Now I'm just going to be a teacher. I think that's fabulous. So, well, Kat, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. I know the listeners are going to absolutely love this. And, you know, for those of you listening, whenever you listen to this, wherever you are listening, whether it's on iTunes or Podbean or wherever, please leave a comment so that we can hear from you and hear what you thought about this episode, how it touched you, what ideas it sparked. Kat and I would both really love to see your comments. So take a second and and write a comment to us. Well, Kat, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Awesome chatting. I'm going to have to come up uh, or come down to New York City and and we'll have a real life in a a real life coffee shop, not the virtual chat, (laughs) the real (laughs) life chat. All right, my friend, I'll see you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Namaste. All right. Bye.